And I see a lot of newsrooms do that mistake. They bring their star anchor, star reporters, and then they come and make mistakes like they call the virus a bacteria you know they make you you watch those things and you're like oh lord it is a time where journalists who write about health and science are treasured hello everyone it's dickens alewe here i hope you're well and safe wherever you are today on the pod i have two science and health reporters vera okeo is from the national media group in kenya and esther nakazi is a freelance reporter and a media trainer from uganda Enjoy. Uh, I thought it would be great to just reach out to uh, health reporters like yourself to just kind of just talk about what you are going through at the moment as a reporter uh, covering this really big uh, story. So maybe just bring me up to speed about what's happening in Uganda at the moment. So I'm a freelance and uh, you know what freelancing means, especially when you're from Africa and then you're corresponding for people out there. It gets a little bit difficult sometimes. So uh, I'm also the founder of the Health Journalists Network in Uganda and we meet every month and we discuss uh, issues about health. We bring in scientists and you know, discuss really science-related issues. We hold what we call a media cafe. COVID-19 had just broken. So we, we, we had that and then we, we knew that the lockdown was coming from the president because one of the people who spoke to us at that cafe was the presidential advisor. So I think we had the cafe on a Wednesday and on Thursday they just announced a partial lockdown. What, then, what does that actually mean? So public transport was stopped. Many things were stopped. And for us journalists... Uh, we had to fight for ourselves because they said only the essential workers had to get permits. So as a freelance, I am not attached to any media house. Well, I know the people who can give permits or who can give uh, those stickers. But then I, I asked my friends, are you able to go to town or are you able to work? They're like, by the way, they'll smash your car. The policemen do not want to hear anything. So it has been really difficult for you as a freelancer to move of around. Of course and report this story because you're not affiliated to any media organization. So, so what's happening now? Are you reporting or are you just staying at home as everyone else? Well, I'm reporting. I catch uh, webinars for, for WHO here and there. I've filed a story for uh, Sidev. I worked on another one for Lancet. They are yet to publish it. Uh, I'm trying to, to, you know, pitch stories. Time Magazine refused one pitch. So I'm trying to to pitch and see how I can get my pitches accepted and then I work on them. You're pretty much working in the house. Yeah, but we don't even have PPEs. How do I go out? I'm a a risk and and I'm at risk. I would have loved to go and talk to people because uh, when they they quarantined some people, they had issues. So they called me because they knew me and they're like, no, we need you to come and talk to us. We need to... uh, you can't go there. You that's, don't have PPEs. That's really interesting because you said uh, here is a situation where the government has categorized the media as an essential service, but then you're worried about your uh, your protection. So the the government is obviously not providing the you know the personal protection equipments to allow you to to do that essential service. Vera, how has it been for you? Well, I'm pretty much close to burnout because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know for so long, science and health reporters they were never the kind of people that the newsroom would go to so much. But now here, uh, we are being called upon to not only provide sources, but also edit 
some of the stories for the sake of accuracy because you do know how science and health reporting is a matter of life and death. Like me and my colleague, Nasibu Kabale, because our newsroom is pretty much operating on a third of the staff, the rest were sent home. We have had to really cool ourselves, like stretch ourselves beyond just reporters. It's kind of like you mentor, provide contacts, you tell people you, ca- you, you cannot say this, you cannot do that. Uh, how does it feel like in, in terms of, I know, uh, uh, your paper, uh, usually uh, in a normal day or in normal times, would probably be leading with a political story. How does it feel being in the driving seat and actually setting the agenda for the day? I feel thrilled that for once people have seen it is important to invest in this kind of reporting, global health, reporting on infectious diseases and science. Now is when they are seeing the importance of having those kinds of specialization. People have political reporting and, and sports for circulation and for advertising. Science that is always just there for prestige. But now this is a time they, they have no that's not how it should be. Science and, and health can also be a thing to attract readers to our paper as well. And Esther, I want to just hear from you because you, you told me that you're part of cohort of health reporters uh, in Uganda. What's has been your assessment of how the media in Uganda has been covering this story? Like I said, we are a group of journalists. I think we have about 70 people in there. 70 this, journalists. This, these are all health reporters, are they? Uh-huh. They are all based in newsrooms and they are all based around the country. And we meet, I think, 30 to 40 of us meet regularly. That is per month. But uh, most importantly, we have a WhatsApp page and we share information. Many journalists have filed stories about COVID-19. And like Vera said, it is a time where journalists who write about health and science are treasured. It's a global pandemic. And when the disease broke out, nobody knew anything. Everybody was like scampering for information, what's going on. How is it going to happen? What is going to affect us? And and the health reporter was the best shot they had in the newsroom to explain everything. So the health reporters, I must say, have been given space, like Vera, and they are filing stories. However, me as a media trainer, the stories that I see here in Uganda lack that depth. It's so much to do with the PPEs, like I explained, but it also has to do with the media house. How much are they investing in this reporter? Are they really willing to, to go pick up the reporter from home, give them protective gear, take them to the minister to interview them or to get the in-depth story. Not, you know, just giving us updates of today we have so many cases, so many have been tested, so many are negative. But to go down to the in-depth reporting, I think that will be done later because PPEs are not available, like I said. Are you saying that the reporting has mostly focused on what the government are saying about the pandemic rather than contextualizing and looking at other nuances uh, in the story? Exactly, because of... You know, they are missing they are missing stories which you would like to hear. And I'm not blaming anybody for anything. But here, I mean, the journalists don't have the, the work, the working gadgets to do that. Vera, I want to bring you in here because you as a health reporter, you know your beat, but then here suddenly you have this global story which you have to break down to your average reader. I mean, how are you bridging that gap i mean there are all these new phrases like social distancing uh i mean how are you are you 
toning down the language so that you can communicate or how are you balancing um, you know tr trying to obviously report the science uh, and the language but also trying to make it accessible so for me it becomes easy because i've been doing this for what nine years <laughs> i reported about politics writing for month and then I let it go, uh, even though that was my specialization in campus. What I have to constantly keep doing is I have to check the, the feedback. Uh, we have, when you come to Nation Center, there's a huge screen in front of us, which shows you uh, the popular stories, when did people drop out, was it at the headline, was it at the second paragraph? So I have to constantly work with the digital team to see how people respond to those stories and be really open to feedback because um, science journalism and health, global health reporting tends to be a little bit elitist sometimes, I'm afraid. The, those reporters carry themselves with like we're the geeks of the newsroom kind of thing and sometimes they forget that they have a public out there. So they, they tend to talk to scientists a lot and they limit themselves to this. So, I'm trying to really break out of that cocoon and listen to feedback on Twitter, on Facebook, and, and, and on, 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 on emails that are being sent to the newsroom so that I know exactly what people want. And secondly, there are very various media houses that have had successful science desks because ours is a fairly young desk. It began in 2016. That's when Nation started having a bit of structure on this beat of science and global health and environment. So I tend to subscribe to um, Stack News, The New York Times, The Atlantic, and not just everybody, specific reporters. I follow Ed Young, Ellen Braswell. I look at the kind of things they do so that I'm able to, you know, break down because they'll be talking about, the conversation is more or less the same. Like we're talking about infectivity, we're talking about um, uh, epidemiological issues basically so if it's going to be in the United States it's going to be here maybe in another magnitude so you I, I see the language I see the language what I'm trying to say is basically I have to keep reading every now and then other publications not just mine and then secondly lastly what I do is editors are always there to bring you back you know as someone that a lot my strength as a reporter has always been my, my research. Uh, every, every reporter has, I'm not so lyrical as a writer, but I do my research, thorough research. So sometimes I go into that research until I forget, okay, this is not an academic paper. So what do you do? You rely on the editor. The editor will bring you back, will just drag you back and tell you, hey, hey, chick, you're not writing for The Lancet. Remember, you're writing for The Daily Nation. So the editor will always give you feedback that, I don't think our readers are going to understand this. So try to break this down and then you break it down. So basically it's just those three things, being open to feedback, reading a lot of successful uh, experienced uh, researchers and media houses, and number three, working very closely with the editor. And finally, this is kind of, kind of like tied to the first point, but also going to the community. And I'm not saying like, Nation has given us protective gear, like I can go to the community, but, um, but also just making yourself accessible. Open your DM, open your Facebook, my WhatsApp. Like there's a story I'm working on today here. I, I didn't have to go to Mulangukubwa slums. The people just sent me those videos and I was there talking to them. Ask her this, ask him that, ask him that. So 
that back and you really have to go to be accessible to the community because a reporter is after all here for the community and esther how do you measure success in in your reporting even myself i'm interested in how many people will pick up my story and probably look at it so i'm interested in the eyeballs i'm interested in the hits i'm interested in who has republished it or who has taken it forward generally but on a, on another note uh, besides me there is another issue that uh, i'm seeing in in our reporting because yeah like i said i lead a group of journalists here we have quite a number of reporters who report in the vernacular, the local languages. And some of these words do not have direct translation. So Trump started calling it the flu of Chinese. And then we have Chinese in our community. And for some people, actually, I think I had one radio station and I know the reporter because we had a discussion. When she was saying that the COVID-19 in, in our Luganda version, she was saying it like the, the influenza of the Chinese. Interesting. Like, really? Why do you have to say that? And she's like, but even the international media is saying, you know, uh, that's what Trump said. Those vernacular radio stations, those community radio stations have much wider reach. Uh, it's it's actually sometimes even much more than the national media. I agree. It's something that I think has to be addressed and the stigmatization, especially now of the Chinese. Just related to that, that I wanted to, to hear your views about is about misinformation. And is that something that is a, is a concern and how are you addressing that? How are you getting your members to make sure that they are not amplifying misinformation and disinformation because sometimes if you know these things filter into the newsrooms it is a real concern you know the whole thing about bill gates and him being behind the virus and uh, bring you know it's it's funny and it's it's sad and then africans are not going to participate in the vaccine and then you see a whole discussion on whatsapp from from for two hours this is stupid. No, we don't even want his money. No, they are using us as guinea pigs. No, we are not going to allow that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. And then on our WhatsApp page, again, somebody is like, yeah, the U.S. has withdrawn funding. You know why? Because uh, Tedros refused to, to agree that Africa is going to be. Then you're like, my God, you're a health reporter. The fact that we are all reporters and I'm, I'm speaking for the situation here in Uganda, we are all not at the same level. Some reporters could actually take things literally and not want to think about the implications. So we, we try and, we try and, and, and caution. I don't think it's because of what Tedros said. I mean, he had a duty to come out and say, Africans are not uh, a testing ground for, for, for vaccines. We shall allow this vaccine to be tested in a proper way, like they're doing it in every country. But you cannot now turn words as a health reporter and start misinforming the public, 
because then it becomes a problem. Vera, do you have any comment on that? Misinformation sometimes can lead to loss of lives. You do remember in Nigeria, we had those people taking chloroquine because they felt, oh my God, it's working, let's just take it. And they ended up dying. So misinformation really is there. And what I would tell health reporters is, first of all, to be aware that diseases do not spread in a vacuum. There is a lot of geopolitical issues, the China-US relations. You cannot run away from that as a health reporter when you report about global pandemics because this kind of geopolitical tensions affect even how uh, countries procuring their tests get to their country. Like uh, you see Safed Abbott, Poloid, they in, in the States, they told the uh, they manufacture PCR tests and they tell them do not export those things, you know. So that leaves Africa with what? One supplier, Roche, which is also in Switzerland, which is also getting a lot of requests from everywhere. So as you report, you have to keep those things behind your back. What I would advise newsrooms to is to, to protect themselves and to protect their readers from those kind of things is make sure that the people who are reporting on these things have are specialized in this kind of reporting. I have edited stories filed in by political reporters, and it's not that they are bad reporters. They are very, very good reporters. But you see something like the, the, the history of PCR tests in Kenya or in Africa. It goes back, a long time back, to CDC, to HIV, to TB. Those are not things you can just go, you can wake up and then go to the computer and know. Absolutely not. You will know which model of COBAS is used in this country and in that country because you have been on that trail for a while. So I do not commend, and this is not me catalyzing, um, I don't know if there's a word like that, catalyzing science reporting and health reporting, but when you do bring rookies, and rookies is not young reporters who have been in the newsroom for three years, a rookie in science reporting could be a reporter who has been in the newsroom for 40 years but has been reporting on another subject. When you bring them over here, and I see a lot of newsroom do that mistake, they bring their star anchor, star reporters, and then they come and make mistakes like they call the virus a bacteria. You know, they make, you, you watch those things and you're like, oh Lord, this is going to leave people with a lot of confusion. So misinformation, how I would advise reporters to go about it in summary is be aware of those things. Be aware people are angry. Remember the Chinese and, and the issue of debt in Africa. In Kenya, we have the SGR loans, how they beat up Kenyans, how they, 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 they mistreated them. So all of those things, when a disease comes that is killing and it came from China, I can assure you those emotions are going to come to the surface and it will affect how people process what you're telling them. So be aware and then choose your words carefully. Do not say the Chinese virus because the moment you do that, you've already gotten yourself into that um, I'm pro-state, I'm pro-China kind of, kind of nonsense. So be aware and then know how you, you cannot avoid something that you are not aware, that you do not acknowledge. So acknowledge those tensions be there. And then as a newsroom, please ensure that the people who report about this thing are actually qualified to do that. Not every reporter gets to do, just like science reporters don't jump on political stories. Even if I'm a star science reporter, I will never jump on a political stories. There is no excuse as to why business and political reporters jump onto science stories. That is 
absolutely no, no. So that's what I have to say. Esther, do you think that maybe after this crisis, it will be much more easier uh, to uh, to pitch stories? If I'm a typical local reporter in Uganda, yeah. Like uh, Vera's example, I think it has made the newsrooms realize that health reporters are important and they have a big role to play and they can have page one stories. If I was a local reporter, yes. I think it would it would really make a difference uh, this COVID-19 and the knowledge that and experience that the health reporters have it will it will definitely go a long way in changing the way the editors look at them. You can now download my podcast on Apple Podcasts Stitcher if you have an Android phone and it's also on Spotify and SoundCloud. Just search for my name Dickens Olewe and of course leave a rating when you find it. If you have any questions or comments, I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your comments. And until next time, bye-bye.